So we have been reading through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, last week we began a section of Scripture that uh, would fall under the banner of journey. Jesus is journeying from Galilee to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross, but not only is Jesus on a journey, the disciples are on a journey of their own. Their journey is a journey of understanding. The disciples were confused. We read last week how the disciples acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were confused as to what that meant. And so in our scripture today, Jesus is going to enlighten them. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, we invite you to confront any confusion that we might have with who you are and your truth. Lord, help us see clearly, and in seeing more clearly, help us follow more faithfully. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So who do people say that I am? This was the question that Jesus posed to the the disciples that we read last week. Well, some say that you are John the Baptist, who's come back. Others say you're Elijah, or still one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked the more pertinent question, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Peter's answer was spot on. Technically, he said the, the right words. Jesus was the Messiah. He had the, the right words, but he had the misunderstanding about what those words meant. Why does that matter? Before we get to the scripture, I want to ask a question. Why does it matter, especially if he had the right answer? Well, the reason it mattered for the disciples, the reason it matters for us, is because our understanding of who Jesus is directly impacts our understanding of what we are called to do in following him. If Jesus is just a, a teacher, if we see him as a teacher, then that means our job is to study him, to, to learn from him. If he's an example for us to, to see and to try and follow, our job is to, to admire him and just try and follow his example. If Jesus was a military king who came to overthrow a political power to establish an earthly kingdom, then our mandate would be to fight for him. Onward, Christian soldier. This was what the disciples believed. This is what they thought the Messiah's job was. He was going to come and he was going to lead a rebellion. He was going to overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. And because they believed that, there were consequences of what they thought their job was. Our job as his disciples is to, to fight for him, to be part of this, this army that's going to restore an, a, a new kingdom. And so Jesus is now setting out to clear up the confusion. We're in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see, there were three words that Jesus spoke that just did not sit well with the disciples. Suffer, rejected, killed. He said those words and the disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing. The, the Son of Man must suffer many things? What? The Son of Man must be rejected? And then to top it all off, the Son of Man must be killed? Did we just hear him correctly? Did he say what we, we think he said? And Mark says Jesus spoke plainly about this. This is no longer a, a parable. This is not cryptic, a cryptic riddle for them to decipher. Jesus is speaking clearly. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. Those words are so unexpected, so contrary to everything that the disciples believed about Jesus, so shocking, so alarming, that I doubt they even heard what Jesus said next. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. I think that just got totally missed in the suffering and the rejection and the kill and being killed. What was clear was that Jesus was reading from a, a different manuscript than the ones from which the, the disciples were reading. You see, their manuscript, the script they were reading, said that Jesus was going to triumph. He was going to rule, he was going to reign, and they were going to triumph, rule, and reign right along with him. Somebody needed to take the, the manuscript that Jesus was reading from and shred it, burn it, get rid of it, and replace it with a more triumphal manuscript. So naturally, that somebody was Peter. Diplomatically, Peter pulled Jesus aside didn't want to rebuke him publicly in front of the others, didn't want to shame his master, so pulled him aside and quietly rebuked him, corrected him, wanted to instruct Jesus, what does this word Messiah really mean? Because Jesus, I think you've got it wrong. If you keep saying what you're saying, everything that we've been working for is going to come to an end. All these crowds that have been gathering to hear you, to follow you, they're going to go away. And some of these disciples who have laid everything down to follow you, if they hear where this is going, they're going to leave. Jesus, we need to get you on the, the right page. So he pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him. I wonder how Peter thought that conversation was going to go. How do you rebuke the Lord? as if you've got some insight that he might not have. Have you considered this Jesus? Did he think that Jesus would say, oh my goodness, Peter, what was I thinking? You're absolutely right. I am sorry. I was, I was off. If God ever requires our instruction, we're all in trouble. If God ever requires your instruction... You're in trouble. I know that, and I believe you know that. But at the same time, can you not identify with Peter? I can. 
when events on the world stage don't play out the way I think they should play out, it's easy to question, God, what are you doing? Because I'd like to offer you some advice. When events in my own life, when they take an undesirable turn, it's really easy to think, God, you're doing this wrong. I, I think I could do it better, and I'd be happy to let you know how you might do it better. We need to remember who this gospel was originally written to. Christians in Rome, many of whom are in, in Roman, the Colosseum, being fed to animals as sport. They're dying. They're watching their loved one die. Do you think they might have thought, we've got a better manuscript than the one that God is, is using right now? Jesus, I know better than you, Peter said, rebuking Jesus. The rebuker is about to become the rebukee. Peter wanted to rebuke Jesus privately. Jesus decided to rebuke Peter publicly because the other disciples needed to hear what he was about to say as well. Continuing, Jesus turned and he looked at the disciples. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was right. Somebody was reading from the wrong manuscript, but it wasn't Jesus. There's only one manuscript, and the author of that manuscript is God. He is the author of our days. All of our days are written in his book before even one of them comes to pass. And the scripture says his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts, so it shouldn't be surprising that there's a few things written down in his manuscript that don't seem to jive with our understanding. Peter's words, if you think about it, were really no different than the words of the chief priests and the teachers of the law who looked up at Jesus on the cross and they mocked him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. This Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross. That's exactly what Peter wanted. He wanted to take the Messiah off of the cross. He wanted a Messiah, but not one that carries a cross. And for that, he received the sharpest rebuke that Jesus ever gave. Get behind me, Satan. If Satan knew that through the cross, Jesus was going to defeat death, if he knew through the cross Jesus was going to provide forgiveness of sins and open the door to eternal life, you can better bet that Satan would have been very happy to get Jesus off of that cross. The proverb says there's a way that seems right to, to man. There's a way that seems right to us. But in the end, it leads to death. In other words, we can't just go with our gut. We can't just trust what our instinct tells us. Because sometimes our gut, sometimes our instincts mislead us. Sometimes we operate out of the mind of, of man and not the mind of God. The idea of Jesus suffering, being rejected, and killed made absolutely no sense to the disciples. 
But that was because they had in mind the things of men and not the things of God. There was a lot they didn't know. And there's a lot we don't know. What seems so clear to us as to what God should do or what God shouldn't do might not be so clear if we knew what God knows. If we saw the, the full picture that God sees. It seemed clear to the disciples that if Jesus was the Messiah, he and they would go from victory to victory to victory. And thus far, that had been their experience. Jesus expelled evil spirits with a word. Healed diseases, made blind people see and paralyzed people get up and walk. He gave the wind and the waves orders and, and it, they obeyed. He silenced his enemies who were constantly trying to trap him. And when they tried to seize him, he easily evaded their grasp. How could this Jesus possibly suffer? I mean, who is going to overpower him in such a way that they are able to kill him? Nobody could kill Jesus unless Jesus willed to be killed. The only way that Jesus ends up on a cross is if it's part of God's script, if it's God's will. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples. This is part of the script. This is part of God's plan. These things must happen. It is necessary for them to happen. Otherwise, salvation doesn't happen. Forgiveness of sins doesn't happen. The defeat of death doesn't happen. There's no happily ever after unless I go to the cross. And so again, the reason it's important that we understand that, that the disciples understood that, that we understand that, is because our understanding of what we're called to do as his disciples is going to be directly related to our understanding of what his mission was and, and what he did. And so Jesus knew that, and so he continues, he called the crowd to him. After rebuking Peter, he calls the crowd to him, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what could a, a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus had used some words to describe himself the disciples didn't like, and now he used some words to describe them that they also probably didn't like. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life for me. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he didn't bury this in the fine print of what it means to be a disciple. He didn't perform some bait and switch. Tell the disciples how wonderful everything would, would be, that they would go from victory to victory, triumph to triumph, and oh yeah, it might cost something as well. Jesus spoke clearly, he spoke plainly. To follow me means you're going to have to deny yourself. 
To deny yourself is to, to act in a, a more selfless way. To give up your place as the, the center of the world. The world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. If Jesus came not to, to be served, but to serve, then we, his followers, must adopt the same posture. That's how we've got to show up in this world. We come with the posture of a servant. But Jesus didn't just stop at, at servanthood. Not only must you be one who, who serves, one who is concerned with the needs of people around you, but you've got to be willing to pick up your own cross and lose your life for me. This is so incredibly counter to the world we live in and especially to the culture that we live in today. The, the mind of natural man and this survival of the fittest world says everything opposite what Jesus just said. Common sense tells us that the, the path to happiness is through profit and gain and getting more and getting ahead. The world tells us pursue power. Pursue it, and once you get it, hold on to it. Do whatever you can to cling to it. The wisdom of this age tells us to obey our thirst. Look for your own interest, because if you don't, who's going to do it for you? Our own instinct, our gut, tells us that if it involves pain and suffering and sacrifice, it must be bad and we should avoid it. And if it feels good and results in getting our way, then it must be good and we should pursue it. It's not surprising that in Jesus' day and in our day, a Messiah was invented that, that would deliver on all of those things. Prosperity, you want it? I promise it to you. Power, self-interest. It's kind of a you-can-have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too type of mentality. Best of both worlds, live for this world and you get the next one thrown in. If we don't listen carefully to the words of Jesus, we're going to just get swept right into that mindset because we are swimming in it. So hear him clearly again. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's a high bar. And, and if our response to that is, Jesus, you're asking too much, then he has a question for us. And that question is this. What does it profit you? If you go the direction you want to go, live for this world for all that you can accumulate for getting ahead what does it profit you in the end if you gain it all you gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul there's a, another occasion where jesus gave a hard teaching and at the end of it people started to leave it's painful to see people leave People started to leave, and he turned to his disciples, and he said, are you going to leave also? And Peter, who got it wrong on this occasion, got it right on that occasion. 
He looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, to whom would we go? Like, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. And so what this means for us is when the script that we're holding is different from the, the script that God is clearly holding, we're the ones who need to lay down the script and trust God, trust that he knows what he's doing. Join me as we pray. Lord, I, I recognize it's one thing to, to preach this and to, to talk about it in theory, and it's a whole other thing when, when it's being played out in our life. And those sacrifices are real, and the suffering is real, and, and the loss is real. Lord, we thank you that you have gone before us and that we can look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to fill us, to strengthen us. Lord, our hope is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.